Well, good morning. We are so glad that you've joined us again, whether here or online. We are so honored that you have taken the time out of your Sunday morning to be with us. Uh, We are in week seven of our series, Beatitudes and Beyond. I have titled this sermon, Yes, Men uh, and Women, uh, and we'll talk kind of about why that is. But, uh, you know, in my life, I've talked about this before, but in my life, the, the one person who maybe arguably has had the greatest impact on me is my grandfather. Um, he has taught me so many valuable lessons. He's not only been the ultimate example, but the ultimate teacher. And of the many wonderful things that he's taught me and that I've learned from a young age and from him specifically, one of the most important things that he taught me was that a man, or human really, uh, should stay true to your word. If you tell someone that you're going to do something, then it's important that you follow through. I saw him time and time again do exactly what he said he would do. Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what was happening in his life, regardless of how he felt, regardless of how busy he was, regardless of how tired he was, if he gave someone his word, he would follow through. It was because of that that there was no one that I grew to trust more than him. And that trust has ultimately led to my salvation because there were times in life where I had strong and serious doubts about the validity of religion the truth of who Jesus was, if God himself was really real or not. And the one thing that kind of kept me hanging around, the one thing that that allowed me to hold on to the possibility of of there even being that uh, foundational reason for that belief was the fact that my grandfather so strongly believed. And that in everything that he did and the way that he lived his life and the way that he lived his life with me, if he said something was so, it was so. If he said something would be, then he followed through. What I didn't know at the time was that he was teaching me to be trustworthy and showing me what it meant to have integrity. In short, he was showing me a a major character trait of Jesus. In Matthew 5, we're going to be in verses 33 through 37. Jesus continues the Sermon on the Mount, and he says this, Again, you have heard it said to the people long ago, Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord... The vows you have made, but I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is a city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. The first lesson I think we learn here is one that's pretty simple avoid people who rely on oaths. Avoid people who rely on oaths. I'm not talking about people who sometimes make an oath because we see biblical precedent for that. Paul made oaths every now and then. Jesus himself, later in scripture, we see him make an oath. And so it's not that an oath in itself is a bad thing, but when we come across a person who has to simply rely on an oath to support their claim or for you to believe in them, that is a person that I think that we should avoid or at least pray for and take what they say with a grain of salt. Jesus here was pointing out the difference once again between his teaching and the teaching of the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees, they relied on oaths, and they would use them frequently in various situations, whether that was during religious teachings or daily business dealings or just any really situation that they came across. They'd make an oath. Well, I'll swear by this. I'm going to follow through. I'll be there at 4 o'clock. I swear on my own head, right? Or by Jerusalem, I'll do exactly what I just said. The Pharisees were feared, and the reason, that the, peop- the reason that they had to use oaths was that because people feared them. 
Okay, they didn't respect them, they didn't believe them, they feared them. And so the, the Pharisees had to use oaths to get people to buy into what exactly it was that they were saying. And this fear isn't like the Old Testament fear, you know, where it tells us time and time again, fear the Lord, which is really teaching us to respect God and be in awe of his power. This is just like legitimate fear. The Pharisees were known for tearing people down. If you spoke out against the Pharisees, they were going to come after you. Again, look at Jesus. Jesus comes out. He speaks time and time again against, hey, this is the way that the Pharisees are teaching you to live life, and it's wrong, and you should, in fact, do it this way. He does it like five times here in the Sermon on the Mount, and ultimately, that's what led to his death because the Pharisees and their anger and the fact that Jesus was coming against them and standing in opposition to them decided, hey, we've got to get rid of this guy. And so that, that's what people were worried about. I can't speak out against these folks. I can't I can't not do what they say because if I do, then they're going to lie about me. They're going to say, you know, I'm from Satan. They're going to they're try to get me thrown in jail or worse, lose my life. And, and so these guys ruin lives and they used efforts, they used oaths in an effort to solidify their teachings and make their words believable. And they always gave themselves a way out. They always gave themselves a way out. They would make an oath by heaven or by earth or by Jerusalem or by their own head, like I just talked about. And Jesus explicitly is speaking about them when he says, hey, don't make an oath by heaven. Don't make an oath by earth. Don't make an oath by Jerusalem or your own head. You can't control any of these things. And, you know, it's like one of those instances, I deal with this a lot. I'm a teacher, and if you're a teacher or you've dealt with children, like, man, I swear, right? I swear. I did my homework, Mr. Huff. Well, where is it? Uh, dog ate it. I swear on my life, okay? Uh, hey, on my mama, no cat, Mr. Huff. I did that homework. I don't know what you're saying, but I think what you're saying is you did your homework and you want me to believe you, but I, I don't see it, so I'm not going to buy into that, right? Like, I deal with that almost on a daily basis, but we all have experiences in life where we deal with people who have to swear by something in order to believe it, right? Like, they'll tell you something, and you'll kind of give them that look, and they're like, I promise on everything, like... I'd bet my whole house on it, like, all, on my mama, on my mama. It's the truth. And, and fa- <sighs> we've got to just be weary of that. We've got to be weary of people who have to rely on those types of promises and those types of oaths, the swearing on whatever, so that you'll believe them. Because usually that's my first trigger to say, hey, man, what, what you're saying is probably not true. Like, if you have to do that, I don't know that I should believe it. We've all been around folks that do that. But if you're trustworthy, if you're trustworthy, if you're a person of integrity, if you've built a track record and a solid foundation as a person who tells the truth and will do what you say that you do, then you don't need to rely on these things. So there's two things I'll say. One, you need to be weary. Maybe avoid people who are relying on this type of of oath in order for you to trust them. And also, you need to be wary of using these things yourselves. Because, hey, you may be telling the truth and you may be 100% in the right. But if you get to be known as a person who's always doing something like this, there's going to be like an alarm bell that goes off in somebody's head that says, why do they always have to swear by stuff? Like, why, why can't you just say, hey, this is what happened? Like, I drove a thousand miles here on the way to church. I swear. You know, like, that's not true. My wife would have killed me. It's, and my truck doesn't go that fast. See, so lies. Um, So what's happening here? Jesus is pushing back, and he says, hey, don't swear on these things. Heaven is God's throne. Don't do that. The earth is his footstool. Jerusalem is the city of the great king, and you have no control over your outcome. So why would you swear on your own head? Why would you swear on your own life when you can't even control 
how many hairs are on your head or whether they turn white or black or whether you get your next breath. Don't do this. The Pharisees make these oaths to receive your trust, but they, they do so in a way that they haven't out. But here's the thing. God is in all these things. That's another reason that we need to protect ourselves because to break an oath is a sin. To make an oath to somebody, to swear on something, to say, hey, this is what's going to happen. I promise you and not follow through with that. Then, you, then you've just sinned. And so we have to guard ourselves against that type of sin by just being honest folks. If you say you're going to do something, do it. And if you know you're not going to, then tell them no. And if you're unsure, then that's exactly what you should say. And Cordelia will ask me things all the time, mainly because she never stops talking. But, um, hey, Dad, can we do this? Hey, Dad, can we do that? Hey, Dad, can we do this? Can we do this next? Hey, after we do this, this, and this, can we do that? I don't say yes because I can't even remember the second thing you wanted to do. But also, I don't know what this day is going to hold, and so I'm not going to make a promise to you that I, know, I don't know for sure I can keep. So I'll, we'll see. I honestly, I don't know, Cordelia. I don't want to tell her yes. I don't want to tell her yes and then it not happen. Because everybody knows what it's like to have a promise broken. Especially from a parent. And hey, as parents, we do our best. And sometimes we make promises that we have every intention of keeping. And then later, for whatever reason, we just can't. Hey, I got held after work. Like my boss said, you don't work this extra hour, you're fired. Now, we could make the choice to say, well, fire me. I'm gonna, I've made my kid a promise, and that would be fantastic. But then if your kid doesn't have food to eat in the next week or a house over their head, right, a roof over their head, then, then that becomes problematic. So I just think that it's important as people that we build a reputation of honesty and integrity and trustworthiness, that our yes can be trusted as a yes, our no will just be understood that, hey, let's, we know this is not something that we can do. And, and where we don't make promises that we're not sure that we can keep to where we say, hey, look, I'll do my best, but I'm not telling you that I can because I don't know if that's the case. To make an oath and to break it is a sin. And really all it does is it pushes us into wickedness and it shows the wickedness in someone's heart. A, a, a promise... A promise is a liar's best friend. I've heard that said before. A promise is a liar's best friend. Right? I promise I'm going to do this. I swear I'll do this. It's going to happen. Like, people who rely on that over and over do so because they have a track record of not following through. And if you have to do that, then you're like the Pharisees, and we don't want to be like the Pharisees. So this, the lesson is real simple. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. See, it's the opposite side of the coin of, hey, I swear this is going to happen, or I swear an oath on Jerusalem, or on my own head, or on my mama, or, you know, whatever else you want to spread an oath about, swear an oath on. The opposite side of that coin is just a simple yes or no. Your yes should be yes, your no should be no. James echoes that in chapter 5, verse 12 in his book. He says, above all, my brothers and sisters do not swear not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. See, Jesus' teaching here is one that takes practice and it takes effort. It really does. It takes intentionality. It builds over time. It's not something that you can simply just decide one day, this is the type of person that I'm going to be, right? You can, you can make that decision, but in order for you to be that type of person, it takes prolonged truthfulness. It takes prolonged integrity. It takes a long track record of people saying, hey, every time he's told me yes, it's been yes. Every time he said no, it's been no. I know that I can trust his word. Even if he doesn't give me the answer that I want, 
I believe what he has to say. And so we shouldn't do something we say, we shouldn't say we'll do something that we won't follow. We've got to guard ourselves against dishonesty. And we have to choose our words carefully because they're binding. They're binding. Our words leave an impression. Our words leave an impression. And I think we all know that. Our words leave an impression. Over time, we're known for what we say, how we act, the, the things that we do. Like, you know, I'm a football coach. Uh, I would not say this about any of the coaches on my staff, but you always have run into people that are like, man, back when I was in high school, I bench pressed 4,000 pounds. And one time I picked a car up off a baby and I ran for 4,000 yards in one game. And I just, and on one play, I just kept running up and down the field. Nobody could tackle me. And I ran over everybody. I stiff armed somebody so hard he thought he was a mule. And it's like, uh, okay, just, you were good in high school. Congre- you know what I mean? Like, like you can just say, hey, I, you know, I was pretty good. Or here's some stats and let it be, right? <laughs> you always, oh, I swear. I swear to God, I'm not even lying. Hey, this is the truth right now. If I can tell you how many times I've heard this is the truth right now, I, good grief. I might be rich if I got a dollar for every time I heard that. This is the truth, I swear it. Uh, okay, right. And then it's like, okay, you're talking about football, and everybody likes to exaggerate a little bit. And like, yeah, I want to think that I was one step away from the NFL, but I was nowhere close. And like, all the, I, I understand that. But then when you lie about little things, you can't be trusted in big things. When you lie about just little stuff that doesn't matter, you can't be trusted about big stuff that matters, right? Like, why are you late? There are these two reindeer. I know there's not reindeer in Missouri. <laughs> But there was two reindeer, and they flew, and they landed on I-44, and then they just started to fight back and forth. And they, like, bit one another, and they wouldn't let go, and their horns got locked, and, like, traffic was stopped, and that's why I'm 12 minutes late. Not like, hey, my alarm didn't go off, and I, I screwed up. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, let's not be those types of people. You know, I think the biggest myth, the biggest myth that we all think is that we determine our character. And I'll explain what I mean by this. Our actions have an extremely strong input on our character. But it's others' view of ourselves, it's others' view of us that determines our character. It's what people think about you that determines your character. You can say all day long the things that you want to be true about yourself. I'm honest, I'm trustworthy, I'm a hard worker, I'm this, I'm that, I'm compassionate, I care about people, I put others first. You can say whatever you want. You can make every claim in the book. Like you can check all the boxes, right? And you can feel that way really strongly about yourself. But that doesn't mean that it's true. That doesn't mean that it's true. Others' view of you determines your character. Ow. (laughs) Others' view of you determines your character. When other people say, you know, he's really trustworthy. I don't feel like he's ever lied to me. He's always on time. He really cares about others. He puts others first. He's never met a stranger. I went to a funeral yesterday of a family by marriage, um, a man named David Tummins. Some of you may know him because I found that this guy like, had an extremely far reach. He was a teacher in Ash Grove forever and, and a bus driver and taught in Mountain View like, a long, long time ago. And it just seems like everywhere I go, I know people who I know that I had no idea knew him that were saddened by his death because he was a person he knew no stranger. And the one thing that people kept reiterating yesterday was that he treated every person like a person. 
And he was caring and compassionate. And he was a farmer and a teacher. He didn't have a lot of money. But man, he, he treated everybody the same. And if he could help you out with something, he would help you out with something. And as they just sat there and reminisced about who he was as a person and talked about his character, all these things kept getting repeated. He was kind and compassionate. He didn't know a stranger. He would welcome everybody with open arms. He was quick to forgive. And I heard it over and over and over yesterday. And so we need to understand that we don't determine our character. It's, it's others' view of how we live our lives that, that determines our character. And while character is another's view of who you are, we need to understand that an important piece of that picture that you're trying to paint is whether or not your word can hold any water, right? Whether or not your word can hold any water. And I think about it like this. I've always seen it like this. And I don't know if this is going to make sense to you, but it makes sense to me. It's like if you were to dip a bucket into water, right? And then take that bucket of water around and give everybody else that needed water, water. And they could trust that, hey, when you came around to give them water, they were going to get water. But every time you tell a lie or every time you're dishonest, or every time you swear an oath that you don't keep, you're, you're poking a hole in that bucket. And so as you dip it down, it slowly starts to drain out. And then soon enough, when there's so many holes in your bucket, by the time you go to give somebody water, there's nothing there for you to give them. And they've lost their expectation to receive water from you. Because there's so many holes in that bucket of who you are as a person and, and in your character that, that they just come to not have any expectations of you any longer. Every time you don't keep your word, you're poking a hole in your bucket. And when you go to pour into someone's life, you have nothing to give them. Nothing to give them. So even if you have truth, you have nothing that can hold that truth for them for it to become believable. So I think as Christians, we have the greatest gift, the, the greatest water that someone can hope to obtain in Jesus, right? He, he is the water. Anybody who takes a drink will never thirst again. He is the living water. And we have that gift to give others and to share with one another and to pour out on all people that we come across so that they will never thirst again as well. But what I fear is that by the time we get to them to share that water, there's too many holes in our bucket that even though we had that gift, they can't believe it. They're looking at you like, you know, these are some crazy claims, and, and I just don't know that I can trust you. They can't trust your word. They find you unbelievable. And then you have to swear on your mama or your head or Jerusalem or whatever else. Final thing I want us to get is this. We have to understand the lesson and understand the purpose. The lesson I think we've thoroughly unpacked, right? The lesson we've thoroughly unpacked. Let your yes be your yes. Let your no be your no. Don't make oaths that you can't keep. Be weary of people who do so. The purpose I think we've discussed a little bit too. In the end, it's about being able to influence people for Jesus. That's the purpose. That's why Jesus took the time out of this sermon. We talked about it in week one. This is kind of Jesus' coming out party, right? Like this is his first big audience, the Sermon on the Mount. He, this is when he's really like 
laying out vision and coming in with the boom. And if it was like today, there'd be like smoke machines and fireworks and actually not because it's Jesus. And he'd be like, that's ridiculous. I'm just going to tell the truth. And people will hear the truth and they'll know it's the truth. But this is Jesus' coming out party, and he chooses to take time out of his sermon here to relay to the crowd that they need to be people who are trustworthy and have integrity, and that they don't need to swear on meaningless oaths like the Pharisees that they have all dealt with, that they've all been lied to from, that they've all seen a promise made and not kept, right? You don't have to be like this. In fact, you have to be the opposite. You need to be people who just simply say yes or no and are concrete in what you tell people. Build a foundation of truth. Build a foundation of integrity. Build a foundation that says, I can be trusted. It's ultimately important. That's the lesson. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. I'm going to say this again. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Again, if the, if the purpose of us having integrity and being trustworthy is so that we can influence others for the kingdom of God, so we can share God with others and then be able to believe it, we have to understand this. We have to understand that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who don't know Jesus. And it is. It is. I'm telling you, before I came to salvation, guys, there are so many things. You read the Bible and you're like, huh? What? I can't walk on water. Right? I can't walk on water. I'm a big guy. I can float pretty well. I can't walk on it. I've never seen water parted. Never seen anybody be able to walk through the middle of a seabed. You expect me to believe that the whole earth flooded and that this ark was built by one man and his family and he got two of every animal and they were able to just live and then eventually the waters all receded and, and they're fine? There's these three guys and they get thrown in a furnace and they're just walking around and all of a sudden somebody sees a fourth guy in there and, and they all walk out fine. For some of y'all, you're getting a little uncomfortable right now because I'm poking at those doubts where, that you, where you read Scripture and you think, I don't understand how that could be. And I'm telling you, for people that have never been in church, who have not often heard the message of Jesus, who've never been told the gospel, which is the opposite of how our world works, who've never been told that no matter what wrong you've done, it can be forgiven, that it doesn't matter how much you sinned in your life, that there's a God who loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you on a cross. And that son, he did nothing wrong, and yet he was beat on and spit on, and his body was broken, and he was nailed to a tree, and he was hung until he literally suffocated. But his blood paid the price for your sin. And he sacrificed himself for you because he looks at you alone and says, if it, even if it was just you, it would be enough. And it doesn't matter that you struggle with pornography. It doesn't matter that you've hated people. It doesn't matter that you've lied. It doesn't matter that you stole that large sum of money from your company. It doesn't matter that you're dishonest. It doesn't matter 
that you've turned your back on everybody. It doesn't matter that you've said that drugs matter than anything else in the world. It doesn't matter that you've killed somebody. Regardless of what you can put before him, you can lay it all at the feet of the cross and it can be forgiven. That message is foolishness to people who don't know Jesus and who've never heard the gospel. I'm here today to tell you that it's true, that I believe it with all of my being, with all of my heart, with all of my soul. I believe that it's true. Even the parts that I struggle to see how they happened, I believe that it's true. But I would never, and I mean never, ever, ever have gotten to this place if it wasn't for my grandfather. whose integrity and trustworthiness told me and gave me hope that it could at least be true. That even though there was so much that I looked at and at times laughed at and thought, I can't believe anybody believes this stuff. There was still in the back of my mind, yeah, but your grandfather does. But Pop does. And he hasn't lied to you yet. And he's never told you that something would be and it not have happened. And so I held on to it. It was always there. Even in the darkest places in my life, it was there. And eventually, I don't know how else to explain it, except that God kind of smacked me in the face and said, wake up, you big dummy. And it became real for me. And it became real for me. But if it wasn't for him, not only would I not be here today, I would not be in church. Frankly, I may not be alive. But I can guarantee you that I would be an unchurched 30-year-old man with probably multiple baby mamas, kids that I don't see, I'm just laying out the truth for you. I don't know what else to tell you because this is, this is where my life was headed. But for one man who had integrity, who was trustworthy, who never let me down, I held on. And eventually, I saw the truth in it. And eventually, I was convinced because I saw God work in this world in ways that could not be explained by anything else other than that there had to be a supernatural power. And when I saw these things happen, I'd go to my grandpa and he'd say, I don't know what to tell you except for God. Okay. Okay. To a world that doesn't know Jesus, we look like a bunch of idiots. I'm going to be honest with you. People who don't know Jesus that aren't in church today look at you coming out of this building and think you're a moron. You're weak. You rely on fake stories to make yourself feel better about the way that you live your life. You're susceptible to nonsense. You're a peddler of propaganda. We can tell them the truth. That's what you need to understand. We can tell them the truth, and the truth can set them free. But if we haven't established ourselves as somebody who can be trusted, 
then that truth will fall on deaf ears. And they will look at you like you are a fool. And they will not believe a word that comes out of your mouth. If we haven't established ourselves as people who can be trusted, then the truth has no chance of changing their lives. And I found that the truth, at least for me personally, really can set a person free. And I think it's our job to be people who tell the truth to a world that so desperately needs it. But if they can't trust us in other things, we can't even begin to expect that they'll trust us and believe us with something that to them is nonsense. Let's pray. God, I come to you right now. I, I, I just want to lay out today before you and just pray, God, that through my imperfections, the, the things that maybe I was a little bit confusing on, the things that I became repetitive with, anything that maybe would have had somebody kind of turn away from the message because of, God, I hope and pray that, that you shine through. And then at the end, that, that we see that it's important for us as Christians to be people who are trusted, to be people who have integrity, to be people who others look at and say, I don't always agree with everything that they say, but I know that they do believe it. And I've trusted them in all these things because they have earned that trust. And because of the way they live their life, maybe, just maybe, what they think is true. At the end of the day, it's all about bringing people to Jesus. I will look like a fool all day, every day. I'll cry and be emotional and let people see me as weak and stupid. As long as it brings you glory. I want my life to mean something. I want us to want our lives to mean something. And what greater meaning could we possibly have? What greater purpose could we possibly have? What greater gift could we give the world than to bring them Jesus? And to bring them into a place where they get to experience the salvation that we have. Not because we've earned it. Not because we're worthy of it. But because you love us. In spite of our sin, in spite of our wrongdoing. There is forgiveness at the feet of Jesus. There is forgiveness won by the cross. May we all be trustworthy people that when people hear us share this message, even as they hear it and it sounds like foolishness, 
May they just might hold on to some small glimpse that there's truth in the way that we live our lives and the things that we say. Empower us to change our world. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. I'm going to stand down here up front and I'm going to worship Jesus because he deserves it. But if you need to pray with me or you want to pray at the altar here or you just want to grab somebody else and say, hey, pray with me, do so in this time. Don't deal with a struggle that you have alone. That's what I'm here for. Maybe my greatest purpose is to walk through life with you. If you want to talk about salvation, if you don't know who Jesus is, but you want to know who Jesus is, I'll tell you, with everything in my being, I believe that it's the greatest decision that you could ever make to follow Jesus. Truly do. Stand with us now. Pour your heart out to God and just worship Him.